When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, welcome back to Oz Business. We kick off the afternoon with the call. Ten stocks picked by you, put to two experts, uh, all in one hour. It's Tuesday, the 8th of March. It's great to have your company. Um, I, we have got so much to talk about today. I'm going to go straight to the panel. No mucky about, because I'm not sure we're going to have enough time to uh, get through everything today. So Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool is with us, Scott. Uh, how's your uh, house doing with all the rain? Gosh, you wet, unfortunately. We've had some minor flooding on the level of our place, but uh, mate, considering what other people are going through around Australia, southeast yeah. Queensland, northern rivers in particular, can't complain. I saw some of the photos on, on your Twitter. Gee, your yeah. veggie patch looks good down the back of the yard. I was most it's, impressed uh, well, with well, that. It was a lawn, mate. Now it looks like a creek, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris <laughs> yeah, Conway right. from uh, Marcus today. Uh, how are you faring in the big wet? wet on the east coast i was actually up in noosa for a holiday and uh, saw part of it and i must say it was quite confronting uh yeah it's a shame what's happening up there being a victorian we don't see a lot of that so uh uh yeah quite confronting but otherwise keeping dry koshi thank you okay, excellent all right let's get stuck into it uh our five stocks in this first half our alcidian uh woodside virtus health csr universal store uh usually i do the soccer do a stock of the day but I want to go a bit broader today because the Prime Minister at a business summit, the Financial Reviews Business Summit today, has outlined areas vital to the nation's interests that we need for security regions to bring on shore the manufacturing and and sort of and build production here uh, to safeguard the economy. Semiconductors, agricultural chemicals, water treatment, telecommunications, plastics, pharmaceuticals. Uh, and personal protective equipment. Now, Scott Phillips, you can start like Incitec, um, some mm-hmm. of our, uh, our our healthcare companies that, that are out there, everything from CSL through to ResMed and Cochlear. Um, do you take this, what the Prime Minister's saying, as sort of an early indication of to start looking at some of these areas more seriously, or do you just wait until it's more than just words that there's some action. Gosh, you've uh, taken speaking of those words right out of my mouth because look, start looking, yes. But as you rightly kind of alluded to, I won't put words in your mouth, but suffice it to say there's an election campaign coming up and a government that's trying to run on national security might just want to make sure that uh, the rest of us who are voting Look, it's, it's of interest. I do think the globalization trend is going, if not into reverse, at least into a bit of a neutral phase. And there is some sense, a little bit of sense in building some of this stuff onshore. There's a whole lot of political sense, of course, in flying the flag and saying, we will do things, we will mm. make things, of course, as Donald Trump famously said and got elected doing so. So uh, look, I think it's 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 rhetoric for now. 
it's worth having a look at. You mentioned some great companies, Ansel, another one, of course. Um, yep. Plenty of potential investments if those things come to pass. Uh, that's a really, really big if, particularly this side of an election campaign. When there's money actually committed to it, when the um, you know when the first sod is turned, as they say, then it's probably time to start looking. But a little bit like you know CSL trying to come up with a a vaccine for COVID back in the day, felt like a long time ago, but it wasn't that long yeah. ago, um, with, with the University of Queensland, they're not quite coming to anything. Others, we'll talk about one company in the PPE space as well today. So uh, not yet, no. I think it's worth okay. being mindful of. It's absolutely worth making yourself aware of which companies might do it, where they might do it, what they might be worth, but I wouldn't be committing money yet, no. Okay, so a bit early. Chris, what's your view? Because sort of I'm old enough to, <laughs> to remember when the government put restrictions, oh, Chris, have, you, have we got you there? Um, put restrictions around particularly, uh, particular industries for mm-hmm. national security reasons, didn't they, Scott? That no one yeah. could come in. They got subsidies. And you look at, um, was it Russia produces something like 70% of the world's fertiliser? Um, mm-hmm. So Incitec, a new farm and groups like that, should right. get a bit of a boost along. Uh, oh, we got Chris back. Uh, Chris, is it too early for you? Yeah, I think so. I caught the early part of what Scott was talking about there, and I agree that uh, probably need to see some policy is, policies in place to drive money towards these areas. Uh, but also just quickly work the list. I mean, I know we only got the question uh, about an hour or so ago, but there are limited spaces where you could use that idea, Koshi, that you've got of going after these uh, these investments. So there's nothing really in semis, agricultural chemicals, you guys were just talking about, New Farm, the big one, water treatment, there was nothing that sprung to mind. Uh, plastics, the big one is Vizzy, it's a private company, you've got Pact yeah. Group, that's listed. Uh, and then Pharma there, of course, are some listed names, Star Pharma, Maine, uh, and Medical Development. So there are only a few ways to play it anyway, uh, in order to take advantage of the um, of what the Prime yeah. Minister was talking about. But certainly I think, yeah, you should start looking in that space. Okay, so keep, keep it on your radar, but a bit too early to do anything yeah. definitive about it. Okay, all right, that's uh, really good advice. But it's interesting the thinking of the politicians at the moment on, you know, where they're turning their attention to. So um, particularly with all uh, what's happening uh, in Europe at the moment, all the unsettledness there. All right, let's get into the uh, stocks that you want us to have a look at. Uh, Scott, Jen wants a view on Alcidian, the uh, Melbourne-based software company, but um, has a um, looks at, at uh, technology platforms for the healthcare industry. Um, what's your view on Alcidian? Yeah, Koshi, this one's a really fascinating company because it's chosen a very specific niche, and that can often be a really profitable strategy if you can get to scale. If you can be the de facto standard, in this case in uh, medical care, often hospital administration, that kind of thing, and they've got some really big clients in the UK, you really can make this category your own. Think about business like Technology One that's kind of taken local and government largely, a few corporations, other things, but mm. it's kind of become a government software provider. It's done a fantastic job of owning that space, becoming the go-to. That's what Alcidian's trying to do. I don't know if they necessarily reference Tech One, but you get the idea. They're trying to become dominant in that very specific niche. Think about the number of private and public hospitals around the Western world, and you get a sense of how big this market could be if they can really, really crack it. Now, I use the word if, I use it advisedly, uh, the, the, the biggest small word in the English language, if, uh, because we don't yet know whether they will be able to get that critical mass and turn a consistent profit. And that's the real challenge. 
it's there's a lot to like about the growth they're getting the customer list they're signing up the, the revenue momentum is pretty good the contract momentum is actually very good so if you're an optimist if you uh, like a bit more risk a bit of spice with your stocks Alcidian might be one to look at a couple of the guys here at the team really like Alcidian as a business a little bit too spicy for me at the moment uh, we right. talked about watch list stocks with some of the government announcements this is one you absolutely want to keep a, a close eye on not yet sustainably profitable as I said that just simply means you don't really know what future profitability might look like, how much to pay for this business. Software business, I like. Super capital light. You can replicate the product really easily. And that's why scale is so both valuable and important because if you can get that, that money starts gushing really, really quickly. The cost of winning a customer really pales in significance compared to the value of that customer if there's no more R&D or programming yep. to be done. So I like it a lot. One to keep an eye on. I wouldn't buy it just yet. But definitely one for the watch list if you can see that sustainable momentum when it comes to profitability. Yeah, Chris, what do you think about City? And also, uh, there's been a bit of a theme um, from the expert panels here on the call over the last couple of weeks saying anything to do with tech, just hold your horses till the middle of the year. There are all the indications of maybe another step down in tech stocks and growth stocks, and maybe it's a bit early, but, but as Scott was saying, Put the ones you like on your watch list after after that second second drop down. Yeah, I would echo that sentiment, Koshi, just in terms of the interest rate environment. So I think the war is going to see the Fed not go as aggressively uh, next week than otherwise they might have, and it also delay mm. interest rates. But let's not forget that the war is creating higher energy prices, which feeds inflation anyway. So that aggressiveness from the Fed will have to come ultimately hurts tech names. So I agree with waiting for later on and, and having some on a watch list. Uh, I don't think Alcidian would make such a watch list for me. They have had some good things happen recently. They won uh, another significant contract or another portion of the uh, the business from the British National Health, Health Service, sorry. Uh, and they also signed an Australian government contract for the first time for 23 million, the biggest contract they ever signed. Scott was talking to that contract momentum. The problem that I have is this is an extremely, extremely competitive space. It's dominated by two big, bigger players, much bigger players, Cerna and uh, Orion. Uh, they're the oh. two biggest players in the space. And the thing about these EMR systems is that they're, uh, they're very customizable. And what works for one business doesn't necessarily work for another business. Oh. Uh, and these guys are fighting against you know two bigger, more established players. So it's not quite like say a um oh, what's the stock i, I really like uh the healthcare one uh, it, it escapes me but if you want to have this tech position and you want to be uh, dominant in the space you have to be a leader and just unfortunately at the end of the end of the day uh these guys aren't leaders in the space so um yeah it would be an avoid for me okay all right uh jordan wants a view um chris on woodside the the big oil producer, of course, with oil prices going through the roof at the moment. Um, it's up 48% just in, in the new year um, and uh, uh, just continues to power along, obviously, because global oil prices are going up. Um, what do you think at Woodside? And do you take, you know, it's had a really big pop. And yes, global oil prices are going through the roof because of Russia and Ukraine. Um, do you buy into a market like this or have you, you missed out? I think you've missed out by this stage, Koshi. Uh, fortunately, uh, at Marcus Day, we've liked energy and materials for quite some time. And this is a stock that we have and have overweight in the portfolio. Uh, but we are undoubtedly going through an unsustainable price distortion at the moment because of the war. Uh, 
pushing all that to one side, I do still like energy. Energy typically does well in a high inflation environment uh, because the economic activity creates energy demand. But by the same token, higher inflation, higher rates don't hurt so much because as much as we're trying to pivot to green energy as a global community, there's still a huge reliance on oil uh, and on coal. So to Jordan, I would say, unfortunately, you've probably missed it. You need to see prices normalize. So even as a trader, I wouldn't chase it now. You know, oil prices were up again overnight, but yeah. oil, the oil is actually coming off today. So I think there's quite a few people out there up and down the street saying, you know, this run, this run is a little bit overcooked, time to take some profit. And then right. long term, obviously, you're waiting for some mean reversion. So I like the company, but I just can't buy it now because it's run too hard. Okay. So if you're in it and you've run up, by not just Woodside, but if you've been in Santos, Beach, those sorts of groups, do you take profits? Yes. Yep. Yes, we, we have done that. So we were we were overweight energy and literally yesterday we took some, uh, we, t- we just took the top off. So, uh, you know, that position in our portfolio, our growth portfolio had grown quite considerably, obviously, because all the companies have been performing. So we booked those profits and we took it back to just slightly ahead of market weight. So we're still oh. slightly overweight, but uh, nowhere near as aggressive so as what, we you were. Talk, so I what, think, yes. 20% off or 30%? Yeah, I think the position in the portfolio is about 6.5% of the overall portfolio. And in the index, it's about 5%, our right, benchmark okay. index. So we took it back to 52 or something like that. So, okay. yeah, you're right, about 20, 25% of the portfolio, of uh, the position, okay. sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, Scott, what's your view on Woodside? Yeah, I completely agree with Chris, actually, Koshi. I think what always frustrates me, amuses me, is the way that resources companies tend to be valued on the current oil price yeah. when you remember that, if you're owning the shares, unless you're trading them, which is for a, a technical change, but if you're an investor owning the shares for any length of time, it's the entire future oil price that matters, today's oil price, and yet you do see these spikes, and by the way, fall, oil price rises and falls. And so you look at that and say, well, would I really want to buy at this point? Now, it could go higher for all I know. So I have no idea what happens in the short term. We could well see investor optimism. We could see another jump higher in the oil price, particularly in the short to medium term. The reality is I don't think anyone believes the oil price is stuck here for an extended period of time. And you've said already the 48% gain this year alone is not sustainable. If the oil price remains this price forever, then maybe it is sustainable. The chances of that are really, really light, as Chris has already mentioned. And so, again, it frustrates me, it surprises me, it amuses me, it annoys me uh, that people tend to you know, value yeah. these things. Yeah. All right. I think we're... Or most of the... So if you're in that situation, that's like a share price based on today's oil price, a price, commodity price is going to be lower in future in all probability. That's a pretty easy sell, I think, as Chris said. Okay. And would you do that across all your energy stocks? If, if they are absolutely pushed higher. Again, I'm not saying this is the top. So I'm really, really clear. I'm a long-term investor. If I look out two, three, five years and say, is the oil price likely to be this high for most of that time? I doubt it. So, yeah, if you've had a good win. Yeah, do it across. Okay, we might uh, just reconnect with Scott there. With uh, Looks like it could be a few water gremlins getting into the uh, into the connection. Uh, Chris, Annabelle wants a view on Virtus Health, the uh, healthcare company in fertility services, uh, uh, day surgery, medical diagnostics. Um, what do you think of Virtus? Well, it's been a subject of a, a bidding war, Koshi. So yeah. uh, that's what's really been driving the share price. As it stands, uh, I believe it's Capvest is the company that the board is going to 
do the deal with, certainly looking for an implementation agreement, and that implementation agreement is due to be signed, I believe, next week, the 11th of March, yeah. Right. So that seems to be who they want to part with, partner with as opposed to BGH Capital. Uh, just on the company itself, I have some experience in this realm. My wife and I were very fortunate a couple of years ago to go through uh, the IBF process the first time around and, and successfully have a beautiful young boy named Raphael, who was born at the start of the pandemic. So uh, we, we know the process quite well. Obviously, they do fantastic work. Uh, and that prompted me then at the time to have a look at uh, IBF versus uh, competitor uh, and see that, you know, it actually is quite a good, strong, profitable business. And the recent results reflected the same thing for Virtus Health. So I quite like this business. Uh, the, the, the fact that there's been a bidding war go on for it reaffirms my view that there is there is merit in the financials and in the business, and that certainly there's companies out there that believe that they can take this business on and grow it. Uh, and of course, the share price has been doing the right thing from a trend perspective, although, as I said, that has been driven by the bidding war. So uh, this would probably be, in fact, it would be a buy for me, yeah. Right, okay. Um, Scott? Uh, I agree with Chris's point right to the very last one, which is uh, I don't know that I necessarily make it a buy at the moment. The question is, and it's the bidding war question, right? When the when the shares already bid up on the back of some interest, the question then is how much can you gain? How much do you lose if that doesn't go ahead? Uh, how much is left on the table if the war continues? It's a really, really difficult one. So I don't, I don't disagree with Chris strongly, but I'm not generally the sort of investor who wants to jump into a bidding war and buy now hoping to get a higher price because it's also the risk of a lower price. That being said, I really like the business as, as much as Chris does. And I think um, it's been a long-term recommendation of ours. I, I think, you know, it's, it's a great operation, long-term tailwinds, like super long-term tailwinds, good growth in Singapore and Ireland, potentially on the agenda too, COVID notwithstanding. So I really like the business. I, I, we recommended it at a much lower price. The problem is, of course, at this point, you're saying, well, what upside is left if the takeover goes ahead? What downside are we exposed to if for whatever reason the takeover doesn't happen? Now, decent chance when you get a bidding war, you feel much better because at least there's one interested party likely to finalize the deal. Um, if I had owned the shares, I'd be looking to either hold now, let it play out or take money off the table. I'm just not sure the upside is enough given the downside risk of the takeover not completing or simply okay. uh, something else coming out of the out of the woodwork. So I, I like it, would happily own it at a lower price, probably wouldn't get involved in the bidding war now. If you hold the shares, you're happy with it at a lower price, let it play out. I'm just not sure there's enough upside left. Right. So there's another one, um, Monash IVF. In, that's in the same that's right. area. Is that, a, is that an alternative for people rather than Virtus? Depends where you want to play it, Kosti. I think the challenge for me, so I like Monash as a business. Uh, IVF is the, is the big dog. It's the, it's the uh, right. significant, you know, larger size. It also has an international operation, particularly in, as I said, right. Singapore and Ireland, which I quite like as well. I like that exposure because IVF can be really lumpy. Uh, we saw during COVID, and Chris has already mentioned that, that, you know, there were some challenges getting access to IVF during that period yeah. of time. Yeah. And the number of operations, the number of procedures really actually quite small. It's in the thousands, maybe even the single digit thousand, maybe a couple of thousand a year. Um, so you, you, it's a really, really lumpy number. Uh, I don't I don't just like Monash at all. I don't know it as well as, as Virtus. I definitely would prefer to own Virtus. And I think it's in the best position. Yeah. If it is taken out, it'll still be in that sector. I don't know I want to compete with them, but I wouldn't rule out Monash. I don't just oh, know it quite so well. Okay. I don't know if Chris knows it well. Uh, Chris? Yeah, so Monash, uh, I, yeah, like I said, I would be a buyer of that as well. Um, right. I, you know, like the business, explored it on the back of uh, our experience. Uh, just to Scott's point, uh, you know, very well uh, explained, uh, BGH has 28, uh, sorry, 20%. 
uh, has taken a 20% position. So that's the only thing that lends me to thinking that there might be another bid uh, lobbed by those guys trying to take it out in its entirety. So, um, But Scott is right. It is uh, fairly high risk uh, and high reward if it comes off. Okay. All right, Scott. uh, Una wants a view on CSR, the big building products uh, group in Australia Mm. and New Zealand. Uh, We're in the US. Got out of it recently. Uh, Jitrock plasterboard, Bradford insulation, Monia roof tiles, bit of a stake in the Tomago aluminium smelter. The Stokeses have got involved in the last 18 months or so and seem to have focused the board and the management mm. basically said, get out of America. Um, Scott, what do you think of uh, CSR? Yeah, you're right, Chris. It's one of those names that we kind of, we don't deal with everywhere, but everybody knows. And there's probably some CSR plasterboard in most of the houses around the country, uh, yeah. such as its dominance. And, and it's really well known. I like the business itself. It's a, it's a dominant player in the space. Uh, really inexpensive, 16 times earnings, a 4.3% dividend yield, which is a really nice starting point. And as you say, America's been a, a really difficult area for building materials. Companies, you know, Boral's gone there. Brickworks is now there. Uh, CSR's been and come back. It's, it's a very, very challenging, you know, you think it's pretty straightforward, right? But the market dynamics are always super important. Chris mentioned that with medical uh, technology, that's an incredibly different category. Got to really be focused on who the competitor is, how good they are, and how likely you are to be able to beat them at their own game. CSI hasn't been able to do that. I, I like the business. I think the challenge for investors in the building materials space now is to look out two or three years and ask yourself what the building construction market looks like. If you're a bull, you're seeing rental vacancies at record lows, significant population pressures coming, particularly with the resumption of the immigration program, more houses probably required, more land being released. That's a long-term growth story. On the flip side, we potentially will see house prices continue to fall. Uh, If that does start to fall, maybe continue to fall in Sydney. If that does continue to happen, that might put the crunch on new construction projects. So you've kind of got... Camps, depending on whether you're feeling optimistic or pessimistic, whether you're a bull or a bear on, on housing and construction yep. in general, that probably determines how you see this one. I think it's a hold for me. It's a little bit too expensive for a cyclical industry. You probably don't want to pay 16 times earnings, fair price to pay for most companies most of the time. Uh, building materials, you probably don't want to pay 16 times earnings for what's otherwise a cyclical. You can see that cycle in the share price there. Not, not, a, not a big range, but, no. but pretty all over the place. The longer term cycles, though, are really well known. I'd probably want to pay actually more for this on a PE basis, but when earnings were lower than they otherwise might be. Um, you don't want to be necessarily, it's, it's counterintuitive for cyclicals, but you want to pay a high multiple of low earnings, not necessarily a moderate earn, uh, multiple of, of reasonably average to high earnings in CSR. So I like the business, one for the watch list, one to be opportunistic about when you get the chance. I just don't think now's that opportunity. Uh, prefer it to James Hardy? Yeah, I do, actually. Uh, if I was going to go building materials, I'd go Brickworks first, quite honestly. Uh, I think that's the far and away the better play, backed by Sol Pat's own shares in Brickworks yeah. for full disclosure, yeah. so I'm eating my own cooking. Uh, but if you, want to, if you want to play in that space, I'd start with Brickworks, then probably CSR, oh, then probably Hardy. Hardy's got a broader opportunity, potentially, so it's a, it's not, they're not quite substitutable, but I think I like CSR's value mm. proposition more. Okay. Chris? Uh, I have uh, a friend that works at CSR, guys, and um, he has said very good things about Julie Coates and the transformation that, it is, that is going on under her leadership. Uh, so they've sold, obviously, some property at Badgerys Creek. Uh, that's been quite well reported. They've still got about 120 hectares of uh, development land. They sold off Viridian a few years ago, which was the big glass division that had been underperforming for the best part of a decade. Uh and they seem to be trying to right-size the business and make it more efficient. And that's all under the direction of Julie, who seems to be doing quite a good job. 
I agree with Scott that the business is doing well, but also have the same concerns, perhaps for a slightly different reason. Uh, the current situation uh, in Russia and the war, we must remember that Russia provides about 20 to 25 percent of the world's uh, softwood timber that is used oh. in construction, and CSR undoubtedly would, would use uh, in their in the construction of houses. So if that all slows, uh, then that will put a put the brakes on uh, CSR's sorry CSR's revenues, uh, and obviously put the brakes on the share price as well. So there are some, some some immediate concerns, and then the overall concerns about yeah, how rosy does that picture need to look? And Scott outlined it very eloquently in order for CSR to do particularly well. And I, and again, I don't agree with uh, I don't agree like Scott doesn't with the, the, the beautiful case that he laid out. It just does not look that bright uh, for property and property development here in Australia as it has done in the previous five years. So like the business, really like what's being done there, but I'm concerned about the the macro picture. Okay. So a no for you, and that would be across the sector as well. Same thing with James Hardy and Brickworks. Actually, quite like James Hardy because of their stronger tilt in the US, right? Uh, and their product mix. So James Hardy would be a leader. James Hardy would actually be a buy. CSR would be a hold. And uh, Brickworks, okay. I haven't actually had a look at. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, uh, Rachel, Chris wants a view on Universal Store. The uh, uh, the retailer that's focused on the youth market, um, um, brands like Champion, Perfect Stranger, Tommy Jeans, um, and uh, Barney Cools, not really clothes that I wear, but my uh, my grandkids wear and, and my younger children. Uh, what do you think of Universal Store? I'm glad you said that, Koshi, because I actually had to ask some of the younger fellows in the office about this uh, <laughs> this retail chain. I knew nothing of it, and uh, it was pitched to me as it's uh, on a similar level to General Pants Co., which is, in fact, a shop that I used to shop at probably about 20 years ago. So I <laughs> know it somewhat. Uh, building uh, building their brand very well. Um, they're going for 100 stores in Australia. They're up to uh, 76, I think it is, physical stores uh, across Australia and New Zealand. Their results were undoubtedly impacted by COVID. Like a lot of retailers, their overall revenue went down, but their online presence really grew quite strongly. Mm. Uh, the problem that I have with it is that the uh, the share price simply hasn't been moving in the right direction. You know, it was eight fifty late last year. I'm talking October, November, and is now around five dollars forty. So I don't generally like buying things that are in a down trend. Uh, but if it turns around and it moves towards building out that store network. Uh, then I could probably see a way to buying it. But just right now, it's just not doing enough in terms of the share price. Okay. Scott? Yeah, this is a real challenge. Um, I'm glad Chris had to describe the business because uh, he's uh, certainly the on the right end of the age spectrum here to you and I, Koshi. Uh, but it's a business that, like, I don't mind consumer businesses. Uh, you got to be a little bit careful with fad versus fashion in terms of how sustainable those brands are. Um, even as Chris mentioned, some of the you know the, the early days, some of the brands I used to shop at back in the day, that was a long time ago, but I can almost remember them. Uh, they've they've come and gone in the meantime, and so you've got to be really really careful about how you value these companies. They're probably not going to be here forever, most of them, which means you've kind of got to have either an exit price or an extra time or some sense of when the thesis might be broken. It's 14 times earnings, which is not too much to spend. I have to say, though, in this category right now, in this segment, there are some really, really dirt cheap retailers. Mm. Uh, Harvey Norman, JB Hi-Fi own Harvey Norman. Um, Adairs, uh, like, there's plenty out there that are really, really cheap right now. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily better. The cheaper isn't always a better thing. You sometimes want to pay up for quality. But given Universal Store's kind of position on that fashion spectrum, 
I just uh, look, it's, it's not a bad price to pay. 14 times earnings, not terrible. Share price is down, as Chris says. That's either an opportunity or a risk, depending on which way you look at it. But I just, yeah. I, you know, it's hard to bring it towards the top of any list. It's not the biggest, uh, the best idea in general. It's probably not even the best value retailer out there or the best position retailer. Um, so it's a hard one for me. I said, I don't hate it. If I owned it, I probably wouldn't sell it. There's no red flags or kind of burning platform reason to get out in a hurry. But I just would be a little bit careful of what you're getting, how sustainable that market yeah. position is given the price and given the competition. And and a comment that's been made, we sort of uh, been made to me, sort of talked about it yesterday on the call when Harvey Norman came up and David Novak mm. from Wealthwise uh, thought it was a buy, but uh, uh, Mark Gardner from Macro said, look, it's a hold, but there are so many other good retailers that have right. been beaten down, like your Nick Scarley's, JB Hi-Fi, even Wes Farmers, um, mm -hmm. who own Bunning and Officeworks and Kmart. Um, and, and he said, look, they would be his preference because we do have some really good retailers there to choose from, Scott, don't we? Yeah, I completely agree. And that, that's exactly the circumstance. They're all really cheap. Uh, you know, we, we know the market's moved away from growth and away from tech specifically, but growth in general. Also, the hangover of COVID has really seen some people, I think, abandon this sector. I think unfairly, quite honestly, I think there's some really good value in here. Yeah. I would be very, very surprised if in nine, 12 months, we're not looking at this sector saying, gee, that was a great time to be buying in March 2022. Mm. Um, I just don't think the consumer is going to be laying down anytime soon. I think these businesses are worth more over the medium and long term. A lot of the hangover is simply that last year was good for some retailers and simply uh, JB Hi-Fi's numbers this time last year were spectacular. So cycling on that is really hard. I yep. think if you're a short-term thinker and you're looking at that saying, oh, JB Hi-Fi, the, sto the story's over, the, the game's over, growth's over. I think you're seeing, you're kind of missing the point. The companies have done their best to say, well, versus 2019, here's what our numbers look like. Um, and that's the right thing for them to do, I think, to kind of present that. I think the market's just missed the point or doesn't want to listen right now generally if you kind of have a little bit of a contrarian streak that's a great time to prick your ears up say hang on why does everyone hate this stuff yeah. is it genuinely hateable is it, is it, is it yeah. dead or is there opportunity i think you're dead right Koshi. there's plenty of opportunity in this sector yep all right and some good ones too uh, good companies well managed companies let's look at the uh, the first first five stocks uh Alcidian, um a no from chris uh scott certainly is, have, has it on its on his watch list for the future uh, Woodside, uh, a no from both at these levels because of the record or, or the big jump in global oil prices, start taking some profits. Um, uh, Marcus today with their, their growth fund has taken 20% um, off the top of their uh, Woodside holding to lock in some profits there. Uh, Virtus Health, a hold from Scott, a yes from Chris, a hold from both on CSR and Universal Stores are no from Chris and a hold from Scott. Uh, here on the call, we uh, have our own fantasy portfolio. Our first investment committee meeting is available online on the platform, Osbitt's platform, for you to watch how our experts picked which stocks made it into the call's high conviction fund. Uh, let's have a look at what the portfolio looks like initially. Uh, BHP, Macquarie, Min Resources, um, Steadfast Group, Aristocrat, Ordinate, CSL, NextDC, and Universal Store uh, was in there. Um, then half a unit in uh, Qantas and, and Frontier Digital Ventures with 20% in cash. Now, every month the committee will meet, will film it to assess the buys, the holds, and the sells as discussed every day here on the call and uh, keep the portfolio up to date. So keep sending in your requests, 
keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking into each month and universal stores because it didn't get a universal buy from both Chris and Scott will go up for reassessment to the investment committee when they next meet. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second to none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum of the CMC Pro accounts at our website. In this half hour, we take a look at Clean Space, Maggie Beer, Linus, Hum and Mervac, a great cross-section of, uh, of stocks. Uh, uh, Chris, let's kick off with uh, Clean Space. Sarah wants a view on that. We talked at the top of the show, Scott Morrison saying we need to develop strategic industries. One of them was um, uh, sort of health and protective gear. Uh, Clean Space are in. Uh, respiratory protection, um, face pieces, breathing tubes, um, both in healthcare and industrial. What do you think of clean space? Uh, I struggle with, with this one, Koshi, uh, and simple supply and demand. So uh, obviously the, the pandemic came along and these guys ramped up production quite considerably uh, and they've oversupplied or they haven't oversupplied and they can't move their product. Uh, and at the same time, demand is falling off at the other end. We saw the same thing with Ansel uh, with their recent results, and it's been reflected uh, in an even more pronounced way for clean space. So uh, what did we see? We saw revenue down 82% and gross profit down 83% last time out. I mean, they're, they're pretty incredible numbers. Uh, and, you know, you would, you would hope that they'd be able to recover from it. But they're, they're again, not a leader in the space. Uh, and, uh, and I just can't see them cycling uh, well through the next six to 12 months. So this would be a sell for me or an avoid. Okay. Uh, Scott? Yeah, can't give a different view, unfortunately, on this one. Koshi, tiny business, $77 odd million market cap. Um, it was a, it, flying high while, while we all kind of <laughs> desperately cared about PPE. And then I think the market realised that, hang on, this isn't here to stay. It kind of takes you back to both the retail conversation we just had and even at the very, very top of the program, the conversation about oil and, and whether that change is likely to continue i don't think it is you see that big drop there when the market was disappointed the shares fell 50 percent a single day uh yeah. back in the uh, was march april last year it's just a, it's a really really difficult space to, to to predict kind of future expectations right we all think the mask mandate's gone now um ppe equipment will go back to some sort of normal and there's a business there there is absolutely a business there for businesses like clean space but that kind of previous uh, hype, frankly, uh, expectation, maybe some shortcut thinking by some in the market. Uh, you know, probably always a mistake. I think it pretty clearly was. Is it likely to recover? Is it likely to come back? Given the competition Chris has already mentioned, uh, you know, is it going to be at the top of the space? There's room, as always, uh, I mentioned before, for medical technology for, for niche players. But in this sort of space where, unless you've got really specific IP that is in high demand, even Ansel has to go a million miles an hour just to stand still because the uh, cheaper knockoffs from other factories around Asia, China in particular, take their business away. The half-life of some of their products is literally as little as six or 12 months um, yeah. because they they get copied so quickly. So it's a really, really difficult space. I, I can't see enough competitive advantage or sustainability in this business to recommend a buy. So okay. like Chris, I'd make it a sell. Okay, would, would you do that with Ansel as well? 
I actually would personally, Kosh, I've never loved Ansel. Uh, it did really nicely during the, the COVID crisis, of course. Um, it's it's that running running 100 miles an hour to stand still. You're literally on a treadmill. You're yeah. having to go really okay. fast just to stay in the same spot. Because, you know, again, a new glove, a new piece of particular equipment, a new material, it's very, very hard to get intellectual property rights or protection over them. So you kind of, once you make something, you kind of, you're on the watch or on the clock for someone copying it and yeah. then selling it at half or a third of the price. It, yeah. The IP, you just don't get the ROI on the on the patent. Um, generally speaking, there are exceptions and, and different products, but it's just, a you know, that one slip and you'll see Ansel fall meaningfully because it just simply can't get the yeah. momentum up. Uh, so uh, really, a bit like Qantas, right? Really, really tough business. Very well run, I think. I think they're doing a really good job running that company. But when you're in such a structurally challenged industry, just staying alive, just staying still is a, is a huge uh, achievement, but it doesn't make it investable for yeah. me. And particularly with global oil prices going through the roof, not what you want with an airline, <laughs> even though I read they, they're hedged through to June. Um, mm. uh, um, Ansel doesn't appeal to you either, Chris, in that, that same space? Uh, no, I think they have a probably a slightly better underlying business just because they service uh, industry more. Yeah. But uh, okay. commodity prices, yeah, obviously yep. uh, a big headwind right. at the moment as well. All right, let's go to uh, from uh, healthcare to eating. Uh, Drew wants a view on Maggie Beer. Scott, oh, their burnt fig ice cream is to die for. But anyhow, that's another, <laughs> another topic. Of course, uh, uh, the company of the famous Maggie Beer, although she's sold down a fair bit of a, a holding. Um, what do you think of Maggie Beer? Um, they also have... Yeah. Uh, Paris Creek and a lot of other different brands as well. They do. Uh, St. Davis too. It, look, it, it, I really like the strategy. I like the products like Yukoshi and, and often that's, I won't say it's enough, but it's a really, really good start because if you can convince people to love your product and you can charge a premium for it, you generally got the makings of a potentially pretty good business. The, I say potential deliberately because scale is really important here, particularly when most of your products are being sold through Woolies and Coles. These guys are hard taskmasters as customers, right? There's only two of them. Most retail, most suppliers find they can only, you have to be in both to get any sort of significant scale. You can't afford to lose half the market. And even then, the category's gotta be big enough, the velocity's gotta be big enough to justify the cost, the trading terms, the promotional support that they need. I like the diversification away from just the Maggie Beer brand. As much as I love the brand, I really do. I'm a big brand guy. I think Maggie Beer is a great brand. Um, Maggie herself, obviously, a brand ambassador still. So I, I love what they're doing. I like the multiple brand strategy too. It gives you a chance to play two or three times in the same category in some cases, which is great, or at least diversify the branding so you can have positions in different categories. So the, the strategy is absolutely spot on. Right now, they're just simply too small and they're not able to generate sufficient amounts of profit and profitable growth to justify the current price. Currently trading about 68 times earnings based on the numbers I've got wow. here. Again, it's 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 a business with, with high hopes. They are trying to, to, to improve the business. I think they probably will do a pretty good job. This is another one I'd happily have on the watch list because great brands do take you a long way. Sometimes it's just not quite enough. So they're going to have to either add more brands or find a way to add more scale. Software is easy yeah. to scale, right? Hard business. Uh, barriers to entry are lower almost by definition because there is, you know, the, the economics are so good. But once you get there, it just rains cash. In in food, in, in other production, you've still got to make the product every single day, ship it out, get mm. it to someone, pay the freight. It's a low margin business to start with. So it's just a bit harder. But look, I, I like it a lot. I want to like it. I wanted to, when I saw it on the list, I was like, great, this is going to be fantastic. <laughs> just too expensive. Um, but at the right price, and if they get to significant scale, I think it's a really good one. I think it's probably also a takeout candidate, by the way. I don't right. buy them for that. 
Um, but if they can get some momentum at a brand level, it makes more sense for this to be part of some other larger food business, frankly, than trying to exist on its own right. Um, again, doing their best, but it's just uh, yeah. too small they can invest all at the current price. Uh, Chris, Maggie Beer. Uh, the only thing I would add, Scott, Scott did a great job. The only thing I would add is what an incredible stroke of genius slash luck it was to buy the hampers and gifts business, which did incredibly <laughs> well through the pandemic. Uh, as we were all sending gifts around to each other and trying to keep each other, mm. keep each other's spirits high, uh, and introducing a whole range of new customers to the Maggie Beer brands, as Scott mm. was talking to. Same problem I have uh, that Scott has though. It's it's very expensive, uh, and you, you struggle to see where the new growth is coming from. They're talking about new product launches in tw- uh, FY22, uh, particularly in the second half to support growth. Uh, but you just worry about can they cycle through? Will they keep all those new customers that they were exposed to? Uh, and what do those new products look like? So it's just a little bit too risky at this price. At a better price, I'd be more inclined to take it on. So a hold. All right. Uh, Sam wants to view uh, Chris on Linus, the uh, the big rare earths miner from the, the Mount World deposit in Western Australia. Yeah, so the the biggest uh, producer of rare earths outside of China and of strategic importance, and particularly to the US, who is trying to move away from the reliance on China, particularly for their uh, for their military uh, military use. Uh, first half results were very strong, earnings better than expected, record profit, uh, cash generation was in line. Uh, the Kalgoorlie plant, which will will be a game changer, uh, the progress there is coming along nicely, should be operational. It's on track to be operational in July of 2023 and at the moment we've got uh, commodities flying and a rising tide lifting all boats so uh, right now i don't see any reason why you wouldn't want to buy this one um, no doubt it is expensive but it's got that growth option with kalgoorlie like i was saying uh, the chart is uh, slight for, uh, apart from a slight pullback recently doing all the right things uh, and the other big thing that stood out to me when i was doing my research is the fact that they've gone and chartered their own shipping vessels because they're uh, shipping times had blown out from 15 days to 33 days. So they went and chartered their own vessels. Mm. Just another indication of how strong demand is for their product, uh, that they can afford to do that and indeed want to do that so that they make sure that they deliver okay. uh, their product on time. So uh, it's had a good run up, but at these levels... Yeah, it's just still a buy for me, Koshi. Still okay. a buy, yep. Uh, Scott? Uh, yeah, I, I I agree with Chris's summary. I think it's a it's having being that sort of you know, biggest provider or producer outside China is a really really important strategic thing. And again, we talked about Scott Morrison at the beginning of the program. The the opportunity there internationally. Uh, there is some talk about them doing obviously more business in the U.S. Uh, the geopolitics is all around this one. And I've got to say, I don't love commodity players generally speaking uh, for the reasons we've just talked about. That the, the commodity price tends to be really difficult. Not a lot of pricing power or no pricing power. Let's be honest. Uh, particularly when China is providing the rest. That though is the opportunity because if you are someone who's happy to take a bit of risk on this one. The, the response to China and even, frankly, the limitation that China might put on output, particularly outside China, could actually work in Linus's favour. So to some degree, this is almost a China play in some strange ways, not mm. on China itself, but on the impact of China or the decisions they make on the rest of the world. And while the shortage of rare earths might impact on production, what it means if you're the alternative provider, you're doing pretty well. And that's a good place to be. So it's one of those situations, I think, if you... If you're happy to take a bit of risk, I can absolutely see. Kate Lee, one of our analysts at The Motley Fool, uh, likes Linus as an outperformer. I think she's probably pretty right. Um, I haven't recommended it myself. I don't know that I know the industry well enough to absolutely put my foot on it and say, yep, screaming buy, go and buy the shares. But I think being that market position, given the geopolitics, is a pretty favourable place to be. Um, 
run-up's not been great for the stock, but I probably, I, I probably lean towards making it a buy. Yeah. Okay. All right. Minus a buy from both uh, Scott and Chris. Um, Scott, Sam wants a view on, uh, or Lucy rather, wants a view on HUM, the uh, financial mm. services group. Been around for a long time, changed its name to HUM, got into now to buy now, pay later. Um, mm. Always sort of disappointed. It was disappointed. It wasn't classed as a zip or an afterpay. Um, mm. Taken a, a bid from Latitude, isn't it, financial uh, for it yep. at the moment, which again, is sort of a bit of a disappointing financial services group too. Yeah, and this is the challenge, I think. You know, it's, it, it, ironically, not being as good or as exciting as Afterpay and Zip was a problem for a long time. And then the last 12 or 18 months actually been in a really good position because they haven't had as far yep. to fall as some of the others. Last I checked, Zip was down like 84% or something from yes. its highs. Um, hum, again, bigger they are, the harder they fall, I guess, is probably the way you might look at it. Hum has had that benefit of not being either. Now, plenty of investors probably would love the opportunity to sell at a, at a sky-high price and then walk away. But it's a challenge. It's a, it's a business that, you know, is it did invent buy now, pay later, at least in the Australian iteration. There's plenty of others have been around for a long time. But the the, the strategy Easy Pay, which is the single, still the single worst brand name ever in the history of business, um, it, it, that was you know the, the no interest ever the you know the Harvey Norman JB Hi-Fi stuff they invented this stuff um, the Go Mastercard came after from from General Electric and others and kind of took over the space and then Latitude as you say but the the business never really caught on and this is a this is a really important lesson for investors is the product is not enough the better mousetrap itself is not enough they invented they, they were the, they were the first afterpay if you like what they didn't do was really bring the consumer along for the ride. The, the, yes, they was in the ads. Yes, Jerry Harvey was saying 48 months interest free. Yes, the, the salesman would say, hey, if you buy, take the couch home now, we can organize something for you. Consumers were, were, were walking in saying, hey, can I use Hum? And that was the, the absolute magic. They got the consumer on board and made the consumer the driver. And Hum never really got it, still hasn't really got that story. I don't love buy now, pay later generally. Hum has been, as a, under the old Flexi Group name, was a recommendation. As it still remains a hold for us, largely on valuation grounds. I still think it's cheap. It's profitable. Um, I think it's inexpensive. Will the market ever come around to it? That's the open question. For now, the answer has been no for the longest time, and we were underwater on the recommendation. So maybe that's enough in itself. But I, I, I wouldn't sell it if I owned it. I wouldn't probably rush to buy it if I didn't either, though, for the record. Um, I think hold is about right for Hum. Okay. Uh, Chris, Latitude have offered cash and Latitude uh, shares for it. Um, we had Latitude on a couple of weeks ago with Nathan and Gaurab. They both said sell Latitude. So if you're, a, if you're a Hum investor, you hold for the takeover. And if you get shares in Latitude, you stick with them or... You take the cash and sell your latitude shares and just cash out of of both of them. Yeah, I think you'd be out of both of them. You said at the top, Koshi, uh, you got latitude, which has been a disappointment, buying probably the biggest disappointment in the buy now, pay later space uh, in in, in Hum Group. So I was looking at this question for Lucy more from the context of what will be left over uh, in Hum Group, and it's that flexi commercial Mm, business. It's the, the business that has the commercial lending to. Uh, you know, for equipment and software and things like that. Uh, and that business is also in play. So it's understood that Scott Pack uh, is poking around with a view yeah. to lobbying a bid. So it might be that the whole thing is carved up and sold off. 
Uh, this is all too hard for me. I'm a simple guy. I would just sell the lot and look for something better elsewhere. So I hope that answers Lucy's question. But yeah, this yeah. is just, uh, there's uh, bits and pieces flying everywhere. So I'm not yeah. particularly interested in any of it. Okay. And our final stock, uh, Chris Alex wants a view on Mervac, the big uh, Australian property group. Um, uh, cross up a whole lot of different property areas, isn't it? Um, bit of residential, bit of... Uh, um, a bit of commercial, bit of retail. Yeah, and it's that diversified structure, Koshi, that actually has seen it navigate the pandemic reasonably well. Uh, first half results, I think, were a little soft uh, from memory, just looking at the data here. Uh, yeah, they were, but it's it's that other side of the portfolio. So I've said before on the show, my preferred exposure uh, in REITs is uh, Goodman because they have that industrial and logistics uh, and Mervac does have some of that as well. The rents are on the improve up from 88% in the last three months of calendar 2021, obviously into the end of last year and now up towards 92%. They reaffirm their guidance. It also looks like they'll complete more settlements, uh, more than the 2,500 that they forecast uh, by the end of the full financial year. They did more than 1,300, just north of 1,300 uh, in the first half of the year. And there's heaps in the pipeline as well. They've got uh, somewhere around $13 billion in in commercial developments in the pipeline. So... I think it's a well-diversified business that's run quite well uh, and has uh, a good uh, a good outlook moving forward. Uh, so I would be yeah, I'd be buyer of this one. Mm, okay, Scott. I don't generally love real estate uh, trust as a as a matter of course, Koshi. The upside is hard to get without leverage because you're kind of getting a if you're buying at a book, you're getting the rental yield as your return. You get some development profits if you're lucky. You get some leverage on top of that if you're lucky. We know how badly that can go. Uh, the GFC feels like a long time ago now, but it's worth remembering the companies that didn't quite make it out the other side. I'm talking about Centro in particular. Now, that's a broad brush. I don't want to tar everybody, particularly Mervac, with that brush. They're in a very different space. But the same really kind of applies. You're recycling the capital. The question is, how much can you turn that into? That being said, at 8.9 times earnings on my numbers and a 4 point something percent yield, um, that's a pretty attractive price to be paying. Mm. It does go back a little bit to the building materials conversation we had before. What inventory do they end up getting stuck with if there is a downturn is the risk. So that's what you've got to have, keep in mind. If they can continue to grow, continue to deliver, as Chris said, uh, the order book's looking pretty good right now. And if that continues to roll out uninterrupted, they're in a very, very good place. If they have issues selling inventory, if prices fall, remember, of course, settlements uh, for, for projects that were signed up previously in a falling price environment, there's either, you know, people don't want to complete, you know, with legal action, maybe they're obliged to, maybe they're not, depending on where they are in the contract cycle. So that's the, that's the downside to be a little bit mindful of, and I am uh, keeping an eye on that one. You don't want to be a, a developer in a, in a declining price environment. Things get a bit yeah. mucky pretty quickly, and that PE might actually be higher than it looks if we get to that point. That being said, under 10, I think I'm with Chris. I think it's a buy. Um, mm. It's a cautious buy, though. I, I, I'm not convinced okay. uh, the property market's only for a shake-up. If it is, Mervac may feel some pain from that. Okay. Um, just before I let you go, um, markets every day you wake up, um, the Dow down 800 points or it's up 600. And, you know, there's more developments in the Ukraine and Russia. The Fed, are they going to move or not? Markets are so all over the place at the moment. Professionals like you guys, do you, do you, is there a time to sit on the sidelines and you just say, I'm just going to wait this out to see whether a trend starts to form? Um, What do you do, Scott, in in moments like this where there's extreme volatility? 
Uh, I so here's the thing: if, if I go back in time, I know exactly when I buy and exactly when I'd sell. But we don't have that luxury, of course. And so yeah. the question really is: looking forward, today might be the bottom, or it might be the top, or it might be the beginning of the next leg down or the next leg up. And you kind of can't know that. So I, you know, there's 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 a lot of value in sometimes letting the bigger picture play out. So in my mind, the market goes up more than it goes down. It's never yet failed to regain and then surpass a previous high. So if you're sitting out of the market in cash, you're betting you can get back in at a better price or that the price will be significantly worse by the time you do that, knowing that the market's probably going to go up over time. So you kind of every time you're in cash, in my mind, you're betting against the market, which historically is a really, really bad bet. Yep. So as uncomfortable as it is, as much as it really sucks sometimes, and it does, <laughs> uh, particularly right now, um, uh, for mine, it's literally just staying invested, trusting the process, basically saying, mm -hmm. look, unless you believe all of a sudden the market is no longer going to set new highs. If you believe that, then you, you, want, you want to be out, right? Because that's a problem. If the market's going to go into new highs and it's down, I don't know, 5, 7, 10, 12, 15% from previous highs, then if you're right, that those highs get regained and then surpassed, that tells you how much gain there is to come. Yep. You and I were chatting through COVID and exactly the same conversation. Yep. The market's down 38%. And it's exactly the same phrase, which yep. is the market's never yet failed to regain and then surpass a previous high. If it's down 38%, that's up another, was it 60, 65, 70% to get back to that level. That's what you're looking at because I believed and I still believe the market will go on to new records. And if that's true, every time you get a chance to buy at a discount, you want to be there. So I'm not selling, I'm adding money to the market regularly. Uh, it's not fun right now. It's pretty painful in some cases. I, I tend to prefer growthier companies. Um, I have a little bit of tech, but not a lot, but a, a lot of growth. Um, and I'm, I'm getting yeah. absolutely smashed right now, but I'm staying the course because I believe the future is bright. Mm. Yeah, great advice. Chris, how do you approach it? Uh, similar to Scott, there's there's something I'd add in terms of that co uh, cash conversation, and I agree entirely. People forget sometimes that if you're going to ramp up the amount of cash that you hold during a volatile period, you actually have to get two things right. You have to get the sell point right and you have to get the buy point right because otherwise you're better off, like Scott was saying, just staying in the whole time. Yeah. Uh, our mandate dictates that we need to be at least 80% invested all, at all times. Generally, it's 90 plus. You know, It takes an extreme set of circumstances uh, like the pandemic onset for us to go to that much cash. Uh, and same sort of thing, we're looking through this. So our process begins at the macro level, very, very heavily uh, dependent on our sector analysis and our sector thesis. And only once we've sorted that out, then do we move to a, a stock level and run a factor model for our stocks and make sure they're of a certain quality and have the characteristics that, that we want. So uh, yeah, we, we very much look through, this is for the long-term mm. portfolios, and our horizon is between five and seven years. So. Right. You know, we, we try not to get too concerned with the volatility. That, that's one side of the business, Koshi. The other side, uh, as you know, probably know, I do the, the trade with Cara on every second Tuesday. Yeah. Completely different scenario. I'm chasing, I'm chasing uh, rockets under rocks when I do that sort of stuff. So I'm looking for trends and breakouts and explosive moves and things like that. But for the purpose of what we talk about generally in these conversations and the long-term stuff, no, we're absolutely yeah. looking through it. Great for your perspective. I love it. Um, Scott Phillips from Motley Fool. Keep dry. Um, hopefully there's the no more water coming through. Uh, and also, Barbara Conway, uh, thank you to you uh, for advising your son to uh, spruce up, if you like, a bit of <laughs> very well presented. You shall be very proud of him today. Chris Conway from Marcus today. Good to see you, mate.
Thanks, guys. Appreciate it as always. Cheers. All right. Um, Barb, keep watching. Um, thank you for watching. Uh, let's recap our final five shots. Clean space, a no from both. Um, Maggie Beer, uh, a watch from Scott, a hold from uh, from Chris. Linus, a buy from both. Uh, hum, uh, a hold from um, um, from Scott. Chris is saying sell out a hum, and if you get shares in Latitude, cash in those as well. Uh, and Mervac, a buy from both. Uh, if you'd like any stocks that uh, you want us to cover here, put them in an email, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at Osbiz TV handle. A reminder, you can find all the stocks in the calls portfolio at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. <laughs>